0: You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast.
1: Her Money is supported by Fidelity Investments. We want you to demand more from your money, so start by knowing what you own and what you owe. We'll help you take the next step at fidelity.com slash demandmorenow. Her Money comes to you through PRX. Hey, everybody. It's Jean Chatsky. Welcome to Her Money. If you've been listening to our show for any length of time, you know that many of the female founders we've featured on the show were inspired by personal problems, personal pain points. Katherine Minshew, founder of The Muse, told us in episode 39 that she launched her business to give people the career guidance that she felt she never had. And Jen Hyman, founder of Rent the Runway, talked to us about how she was looking for a more affordable solution to her little sister's very expensive taste and started asking the question, wouldn't it be smarter if we could rent designer items rather than buying them outright? Well, this week's guest, nearly seven years ago, set out to change the dismal relationship that she, and as it turns out, millions of other women, including me, have with their bras. I am sitting with 3rd Love's co-founder and co-CEO, Heidi Zach, and since 3rd Love's launch, more than 12 million women have gone through their fit finder process and they have sold over 4 million bras. Heidi, thanks for being here. I'm going to laugh when I read this. Kelly wrote this script for me today, and she writes, our boobs are big fans. But <laughs> I can show you my straps so you'll know I'm wearing my third love bra. My boobs are very big fans. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That's our 24-7 bra, the best-selling one we have. So, Well, I'm going to tell you my bra story, because I'm sure you're regaled with bra stories all the time. But I have been a 32C my entire life. I I was not a 32C when I was pregnant, but as soon as I was done being pregnant and done breastfeeding, I was a 32C once again. And I needed bras at one point, and I I drove to a very well-known expensive department store and went up to the bra floor, and the salesperson from the line of bras that I was buying regularly at that point was actually there, the factory rep. And I don't know what she was on. But all of a sudden, I was, in her mind, a 30 double D. And I actually bought those bras and went home and told my husband, guess what? I'm not a 32C. I'm actually a 30 double D. And he fell on the floor and said, take them back. You're absolutely not. And I put them on. And I don't know, by some miracle, She had made them fit me in the store, and they totally did not Mm. fit me at home. And that was the last time that I remembered going bra shopping without absolutely dreading that I was going to come out with something that I totally didn't need. So tell me how you got to wanting to fix this business that was broken. Well, thank you for sharing
2: that. As I say, every woman has a bra story. It's totally <laughs> true, right? And so for me, really the the idea from Third Love came out of a shopping trip at a Victoria's Secret store. So in 2012, I was at Google. I needed a bra, and I did what I had done for my whole adult life, which was go to a Victoria's Secret store in a mall. So I found myself, you know, in near Mountain View, California, in a mall, driving there, parking, And walk into the store and you have the lights and the feathers and the smells. And you have the sort of very young sales associate trying to help you and try on 10, 20 bras, settle for one that doesn't really fit. And I walked out of the store and I looked back and I had that pink bag in my hand. And I walked out and I, I stuffed it in my bag that I was carrying because I was so embarrassed to be shopping there. And for me, in my early 30s at the time, I thought to myself, this is ridiculous that I'm spending money somewhere for something that doesn't really fit, isn't really comfortable, and I'm embarrassed by the brand. So there's that and there's department stores. right? And, you know, this is before direct-to-consumer was a term. You know, this is seven years ago and thought, you know, I could build something better And that was the original idea.
1: And you went about it with your husband. Yes. um, Third Love's other co-founder and co-CEO. Tell me about going into the bra business with your husband. I mean, that I just can't get my brain around.
2: Well, so he, at the time, he was at a VC firm, um, Sequoia Capital, and he was doing a lot of e-commerce investments in the female sector. And so he thought there was a lot of opportunity and just um, not as much focus as there could be on women, on selling to women, um, and considering women spend 80% of dollars, right, in the U.S., as we all yeah. know. And so he was interested in that. And I came home with the bra idea, of course. And he, he you know, at first was thinking to himself, he was like, what? What's the problem? And I started going through the whole thing. And And we did a lot of market research, and the more he talked to people and the more we looked at the market, the more we collectively felt like we could do this together. We did not originally set out to build a company together. It happened sort of
1: ad hoc. How did you go from idea to product? I know you brought in a designer fairly quickly. Explain the process to us. Yeah, so
2: our first hire was Raelle Cohen. She's currently our chief creative officer, and she was a lingerie designer by trade, had 20 years of experience. We brought her on, and Raelle and I sat down to dissect everything that was wrong with your traditional t-shirt bra. So, for example, the tag in the back. A pet peeve of mine is the fact that that tag on the hook and I— even when you cut it off, it itches your back. And then you lose your size and you forget what brand you bought, what size it was. You can't figure it out. And I said to her, isn't there a way to fix this? And she's like, yeah, we can do pad printing on the hook and eye. We can make a thicker hook and eye. It just costs, you know, 50 cents more or something like that. And I'm like, let's do that. And she said, this is awesome. I'm finally partnering with somebody who wants to build a better bra because in her past roles, it was always about cost cutting, right? How do we make something cheaper? How do we make better margins? And when we set out to build a better bra it was about how do we make something that's the most comfortable bra it can be and we'll worry about costs later. And so that was how we started out and, you know, figuring out a manufacturing partner at the beginning when we didn't have a brand, we didn't have a website, we didn't have customers. It was a challenge. I mean, it was a lot of – a lot, a lot of meetings to get anyone to even – talk to us,
1: to even contemplate working with us. Tell me how you got to the half sizing and the the whole fit process, because having said I was a 32C for my whole life, I now know that I'm in fact a 32C and a half. And it's, I'm not bragging or anything, but it, (laughs) no, it it just, they fit better that half actually makes it makes a difference. I'm I'm holding my hands up like I'm holding my <laughs> boobs just just for everybody who's out there
2: listening. Um, I, too, am a half size, so I share that with you, which is, I think, part of the reason I always struggled to find a a bra that fit. But in our initial focus group testing way back when, um, we actually had an app that let women size themselves. This is in the early days. And the app was really having a difficult time figuring out if somebody was a 34C or a 34D. They were sort of falling in between. And then when we would fit test product on them, we realized that they either had cup overflow or cup, you know, gaping, basically. Mm -hmm. And Rail and I just said, I think we can create this other size, like an in-between half cup size. Let's do it. So we sampled it. We brought all the women back, and they put it on, and they had the same experience that you and I had, which is like, wow, this really makes a huge difference, and it, I actually have a bra that fit. And that's, you know, it, from the very early days, from the first time we launched, we've always had half sizes. About a quarter of our customers are half sizes. Wow. Are you surprised that it's not a half of all customers? Um, Yeah, on the larger cups, some of the larger cup sizes, we don't offer the half sizes. So as as our size range has expanded, that's come down a bit. But But you offer 78 sizes. Yep, so we just launched a few new sizes. We offer 78. Your average bra brand has about 30 to 35. So we have significantly more.
1: As a former Google employee, I know you take the data really, really seriously. Tell me about using data to help grow this company.
2: Yeah, so I had been at a big retailer in in New York uh, prior to Google. And one of the things that I recognized was just a real lack of access even to data, trying to make decisions at the company. And so when we set out to build Third Love, I was emphatically about data and data collection and using data to answer questions and solve problems and make decisions. And so through the FitFinder and every other touchpoint we have, because we're 100% direct-to-consumer, we know a lot about our customers, and we use that in decision-making. We use that to make a shopping experience better, to make our emails more personalized, to make better product. Everything we do kind of goes back to the customer and the, and the data that we've collected. What
1: do you think it is about direct-to-consumer that has captured the attention of shoppers across the world? I mean, I find myself buying many, many things that way, and I used to, I used to love to go to the mall. So I think a lot of it is the storytelling and the connection to the brand
2: and having that one-on-one relationship. So, for example, with bras, a lot of it's education. You know, it's education about fit. It's education that it's okay if you're wearing the wrong bra size. Most of us are. And being able to communicate with a customer and offer a high level of service versus asking somebody else in another store to sell your your product or your brand, which I think it's just a, that's a lot harder to do. Um, and then, of course, social media, the ability to connect with a customer, to communicate daily with her,
1: to be a part of her life hugely changes the game as well. I want to talk about your recent success in raising money, which congratulations on that, <laughs> by the way. But before we do that, let me just remind everybody that her money and conversations like these is proudly sponsored by Fidelity Investments. What if you could demand more from your money, like more from your bra? What if you could make your savings work as hard as you do? And what if that helped you reach your financial goals faster? It all starts with a financial checkup and an understanding of what you own and what you owe. And from there, Fidelity can work with you to evaluate your investment options and ways to grow your savings. And you can get started today at fidelity.com slash demand more now we are in studio with third love's heidi zach you announced recently that you just finished a 55 million dollar fundraising round clearly this was not where you started so i know a lot of women in particular have trouble with their very first rounds how did you get started The initial rounds, well, every round is hard. I think over time it
2: gets easier as you have more data and more customers and more revenue. But certainly, you know, in the early days of raising our seed, um, some of the conversations we would have with basically almost all male investors, I, I think there was one or two female investors we pitched in 2013, a lot of the conversation was around would a woman even buy a bra online? That was a big question. Um, and, like, why is an online shopping experience going to be worse, better than a in-store, I should say? And a lot of the, you know, let me go back and ask my wife, girlfriend, daughter, admin, et cetera, um, to try it out. So there's a lot of that when, you know, somebody's not using the product. And that's hard. Um, and you also have to find an investor who's passionate about what you're building. And I get it. Like, a lot of men out there may not be as passionate about a bra company because they don't wear the product. And what that does is it narrows your potential list of investors that may even want to invest, and that's
1: really hard. And finding the investors that fit for you, for lack of a better word, (laughs) how did you get over that initial reluctance? A lot of meetings, you know, a lot of pitching, you know, a lot of
2: no's, a lot, a lot of no's, uh, you know, many, many, many no's. And eventually you find someone who is totally gets it, sees that opportunity, and I also think really believes in the founders. Um, that's incredibly important because we had a lot of hurdles that we faced, um, but we had people who believed in us and our ability to solve problems
1: and get, you know, get to the end of the road. We talk a lot on this show about how personal finance isn't really finance. It's really personal. And part of the challenge for women is figuring out what makes sense for them. What's the right fit in financial advice for them? Do you have any secrets for how you listened to your customers? How did you know what they were telling you that they wanted?
2: Yeah, that's a really good point. We always have tried to listen to our customers and make changes and and produce things that they're asking us for. And a great example of this is about a year ago, um, we got an email from a woman named Hope, and she sent an email with a photo, a selfie of herself in the 24-7 bra. And she goes, I'm Hope. I'm 50 years old. I look and feel great. I love your T-shirt bra. I got your catalog. I was paging through it. And I didn't see anyone in there over the age of 30. And where am I? Why am I not wow. represented? And uh, it got forwarded to me and uh, rail our chief creative officer. And we looked at that and we're like, wow, she's totally right. We have this huge, expansive range of women of all ethnicities, sizes, and life stages, right, who are purchasing our product, yet we're ignoring this slightly older woman in our marketing materials. And we called Hope and we said, hey, you look great. Will you come up here, do a photo shoot, be a model for us? And she did. And from there, if you look on our website, if you see anything that we put out there, we um, we have made it a core to our current value that we're going to show women of all different life
1: stages, different ages. I love that. I love that. All right. Let's get granular about bras. How many do we need? How many do we wear? What's the right price point how long should they last and bras are expensive yeah so the
2: way I would think about bras is that your t-shirt bra the one that you mostly wear every day or every other day hopefully you should have two of them because you want to let one relax on a day and that's you should try to rotate um, and so your best fitting most comfortable bra, bra buy two of them maybe in a different color and rotate them and how often do we wash them um, it depends. You know, I would say every one to two weeks okay, on average is probably what most people do that we've surveyed. Your average woman owns 10 to 12 bras but only wears two to three of them. That would be me. Yep. So the vast majority of your bras <laughs> are just sitting there staring at you every morning. So there's lots of great organizations. Um, we're the largest donator of bras in the country. We donated, We've donated $10 million worth of bras to women in need. But there's many organizations that you can donate your bras that you're not using to. So that's something to consider. And I would say you need around six to seven bras. I think having a t-shirt bra, a wireless bra, um, a strapless bra is obviously a, a good one to have. And then maybe one to two fashion styles, a lace bra or a racer back bra, depending on the kinds of outfits you wear. And so I think a bra to me, is a base of your wardrobe. And so to evaluate what you need in your bra wardrobe, you need to evaluate what kinds of clothes you like to wear and
1: what kinds of bras you like to wear and then build that out. But I would say around six. And those T-shirt bras, assuming we're taking care of them, how long should they last? About a year. So oh. You know, 9 to 12 months, if you have two and you're rotating them,
2: I would say, you know, 9 to 12 months, something that you wear a lot less often would last longer. But you can kind of tell, like, if you're really honest with yourself, when it starts to look a little dingy, it feels a little stretched out, it's time. Like, it, you know, buy a new bra.
1: And is there – I mean, your T-shirt bra is $68. Is that, I mean, that is about what I'm used to spending on bras in the department store as well. Is that, what's what's in the price point? It's a lot more than I have spent when my daughter wants to go to Victoria's Secret. Absolutely. I mean, you, there's, as I said, we
2: invest in the details. So there's a lot of cost that goes into development fit and the materials. So the way I look at it is, at, Your t-shirt bra or any bra, it's an investment. And if you take into account you wear it almost every day, it's literally cents per wear over a
1: year. Amortization, baby, right? (laughs) You know that. (laughs) Before we wrap it up, what's your advice for women who see a problem in the marketplace and want to solve it? I would say follow your passion.
2: So, you know, if you really believe there's a an opportunity and no one else is doing it, go for it. But know that you have to be really passionate about it because it's really hard. It's really hard starting a business, especially in the early days. There's more no's than yeses, And you have to—the only way you get through that is if you're passionate about what you're doing, and
1: that's what carries you through the low times, so— It's fascinating, I think. I mean, I'm just i so happy for your success. I was thrilled to have you on the show. I hear you on the radio because I drive in my car and I listen to Sirius and, and you guys advertise on some of the channels that I listen to. I just think it's nice to know that women are succeeding in starting companies and growing companies, and we're thrilled to have you here. Thank you so much, and thank you for being a customer. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. And we will be right back with Kelly and your mailbag. Kelly Hultgren, our producer, has joined me in the studio. Are you wearing your third love bra today, too? I'm not wearing it today. I want to be honest with everyone, (laughs) but I love that you are, and I love that you said boobs. (laughs) (laughs) I said boobs. It was in my script. I said it. I um. I actually have gotten rid of most of my others. Really? Yeah, I mean, not the, you know, she's right about the different kinds you need, so I haven't gotten rid of, like, the strapless Mm -hmm. and the uh, the specialty bras, but— yeah, this is this is what I wear every day. I am that person
0: too. I have a drawer full of bras that I have not worn in years, and they're just sitting there, and I never thought to donate them. For some reason, I, I put that in my mind that, like, Goodwill doesn't accept them so that no one else would. Like, you should just, you know, dispose of your bras when— you're done with them, or if you're not using them. But if there are places that will take them and repurpose them or give them to women who need them, yeah. I am going to follow up and find that out. And we can include
1: that in the show notes too, if anyone's interested. That's great. And while you're at it, how about eyeglasses? Because I have trouble oh. donating eyeglasses, and I have a yeah. whole bunch of them. Oh, that's I,
0: that is a really good point, too, and a good question. I mean, first thing that comes to mind is, like, maybe looking at Warby Parker and see if they, like, recycle them or yeah. if they do something. I, I would guess that they might. We should do this for hermoney.com. We should. should we'll do a, a story. Piece.
1: Yeah. Donating things that are hard to donate. Yes. Perfect. Okay. Questions. We have questions.
0: Yes. First from Midwest Listener, and this is the first time someone's given themselves a fun name for Anonymous. I, I approve. I approve. Ac- I encourage it. (laughs) Midwest Listener writes, I currently work for a firm that does not offer us a 401k plan. It's a small company, fewer than 50 people. The owners are not interested in offering a 401k to its employees. Some of us are approaching the max limit for the IRA deduction. I was interested in knowing what is a good way to possibly save for tax deductible or possibly pre-tax contributions, which in turn puts us in a lower tax bracket.
1: I have done research and could not really find anything. Please advise. That's because there really isn't much, Mm. right? So if you don't have a retirement plan at work, putting money into an IRA tax deductibly is a no-brainer or a Roth if that's a better way for you to do it based on your tax situation – You can look at putting money into a health savings account. That will lower your adjusted gross income if that's an option for you. If you've got a state that makes it possible for you to take a state tax deduction for making a contribution to a 529 college savings plan, that's something to look at. And if you have any self-employment income, if you've got a side gig, all of a sudden the doors open wide for you because then you're eligible for a SEP IRA, which allows you to put aside up to 25% of that self-employment income and the limits are over $50,000 a year. So If you've got other income, the problem kind of solves itself. The other thing I would say is talk to your employer about whether they could offer a 401k, even if they don't contribute. One of the reasons that companies don't offer one is because they feel badly that they can't afford to contribute Mm -hmm. or they feel they can't Mm -hmm. contribute. But just the fact that it's available does allow employees who have the ability to put away more money to do it automatically.
0: And now we'll do one from Charlene. Jean has recommended several times to consolidate retirement accounts. I would like to go from six to three. What should I be looking for when making a decision on which ones to keep and which ones to close?
1: I would look for the account that you use most often. Mm. So I think it's easiest to keep tabs on an account that you're already using on a regular basis. So if the employer that you're working for now has a retirement account, has a 401k that you actually like, think about rolling everything into that firm so that you can just sign on to the benefits portal and look at everything on a single screen. That would be my number one thing. The other things to pay attention to are fees and the investments that you have available to you. If fees are incredibly high, that's one that you want to ditch. If the investments that you have available to you are not good, then that's an account that you want to consider closing. Could she, should she consult a financial advisor for this or
0: her current 401ks account management person? And because they know like the ins
1: and outs, would they be helpful with this? It might become an asset grab. Oh, um, and what does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> All of the companies that have 401ks, are in the business of trying to manage more money. Uh, And so if you're basically saying to them, I have rollovers that I am considering bringing to you, they are always interested in making it as attractive to you to roll it over with them as as they possibly can, because that's the business that they're in. So I would just do a straightforward comparison on fees, expenses, and the investments. Got it. Okay, great. Thank you. Sure.
0: And we'll do one more from Casey. I'm fortunate enough to work at a company that granted me stocks, and I'm also enrolled in our employee stock purchase plan. I've met with a financial planner and have determined I'm in a healthy position to purchase my first home. Yay. Yay. I plan to use some of my stock for my down payment. With the recent dip in the stock market, though, my stock prices dropped $30 per share over the past month. In addition, there's been a bit of a lull in the housing market I'm looking to buy in. My question, should I wait for my stock price to increase before cashing out for my down payment? I feel a sense of urgency to buy when housing prices are lower, but worry I'm leaving money on the table if I cash out before the market corrects
1: itself. I understand that, but there's also the possibility that those stocks could continue to go down. And so what I would say is talk to a financial advisor about Your alternatives for places to get this money, but I wouldn't necessarily bank on that particular investment coming back all that quickly. And I'd also consider the fact that these things may be correlated, that maybe we've seen a depression in both the housing sector and the stock market at the same time for similar reasons. And so, in effect, you are trading one downside for one upside does Mm -hmm. that make sense totally it's really really tempting to try to wait for the market to come back but if you look at what your current holdings will allow you to buy at the current stock price and you're in a position where it will do the trick i would probably just go ahead and pull the trigger i think Waiting is a form of trying to time the market, and we know that that generally winds up being a mistake. Yeah, and I've heard you tell people, you know, you need to do what's
0: best for you now, Mm -hmm. but if you really have – because I understand, like, not wanting to miss out on the opportunity of this money to grow even more than it already has been, especially if it's, like, given to you, right? Like, company stock, we know that's a growing trend of what employees are looking for and what companies are doing to be competitive for high performers. And I don't know, maybe reevaluate like all the money that you have. And if you want to leave some more in stock and then maybe pull from another one of your resources for the down payment, maybe that's a a way in which you can, you know, pursue it without feeling like you're missing out on this stock and this, this profit you can get from it. That could be something too. But I
1: think it's a really exciting opportunity. Absolutely. Congratulations. And I hope you find a home you love. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. Let's end in our Thrive segment today with some important news on romance in the digital age. On the other side of those clean-cut profile pictures you and your girlfriends see on dating apps could lurk something a little more sinister. Romance scams are costing people more money than any other form of fraud, according to a new report from the FTC. I okay. Last year alone, the FTC recorded more than twenty one thousand reports of relationship scams with one hundred forty-three million dollars lost. But what may be even more concerning is that we do not seem to be wising up. Losses have increased more than fourfold from twenty fifteen when victims lost just thirty-three million. According to the report, many of these scams start with a simple Facebook message from a person who appears to have a real profile and legit friends once the relationship is established then the emergencies start maybe there's a car wreck that needs to be fixed an operation a sick family member and the requests for money soon follow some of the ftc's stay safe rules include never sending money to someone you haven't met in person and looking closely for any inconsistent answers your new friend may give you can learn more at ftc Dot com slash imposters and by tuning into our episode with duped author Abby Ellen check out episode 144 of our podcast her book duped double lives false identities and the con man I almost married scary stuff thanks so much for joining me today on her money thank you to heidi zach for the fantastic conversation if you like what you hear please subscribe to our show at apple podcasts and leave us a review we love hearing what you think we also want to thank our sponsor fidelity we record this podcast out of cdm sound studios our music is provided by track tribe and our show comes to you through prx join us next week we'll be back with another great guest and we'll talk soon